My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to have never had a COVID test. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode. Actually, don't. Don't listen to our intro episode. I mean, you can if you want to for like past history, but you should know that it's changed. And if you want to know how it's changed, wait till the end. We'll explain. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burnnoticed with a D because that is the name of our podcast. It is. So what are we noticing this week, Chris? Well, we're noticing an episode of Burn Notice. I was going to ask you about, you mentioned, um, COVID testing. How are you doing? I what did. is this about? Uh, yeah. So um, at the time, the time capsule at which we are recording this episode, um, I might be dead in a month. Who knows when this episode finally goes out? Uh, and finally, Chris. I mean, will have to I will edit miss her own you. Fucking pauses in an episode. I will miss you. Maybe not the podcast. Rude, but fine. Uh, rude, but fair. <laughs> um, so I will miss our less- fans. Less than two weeks ago, you I flew home from Colorado. I was in Colorado for a couple of weeks this summer because I could not handle it anymore. And I could not be in New York. So I went to Colorado. And um, I technically flew through Utah, which is considered a high-risk state. And I was only in Utah for an, an hour and a half because it was a layover. Um, and I'm certain that it's the cleanest place in Utah right now which unfortunately is not saying very much Utah. But anyways, I was I was put on like a, a, a contact tracing list of like, please don't leave. And every day I got a call from contact tracing that was like, are you leaving? Don't leave. Um, because they're like, you're from a high risk state. Everything might be terrible. And within that 14 days that I'm supposed to be self-quarantining, I developed a cough. And it's like a chest cough. It's a dry cough, you know, the kind of the COVID cough. And I got a little nervous. So my partner and I went and got tested a couple of days ago. Uh, have not gotten my results yet. Have continued coughing, but I've not developed any other symptoms. And my partner hasn't developed any and got an antibody test that already came back that said that he doesn't have the antibodies. So I am like 95% sure that I don't have COVID. Again, who knows? I could be dead in a month. And it might not be from COVID. It might be from a myriad of other reasons. Oh, yeah, we could all be in dead in a month. State. We could all be dead in a month. Let's be clear. Next week, the election is happening, and God knows where I'm at in actual time when you're listening to this episode. But in any case, I had my first COVID test because, like, before, I had no need to. I'd never had symptoms. I was pretty easily able to quarantine because my jobs were already remote. Um, And so I have just, like, had – I've avoided it the entire time. And even when I went to Colorado, um, my mom has to get COVID tested every week because she works in a nursing home. Yeah. So obviously if you're in the healthcare profession, especially working with, like, a potentially at-risk population, you have to get tested every week. So while I was in Colorado, she got tested, like, three times and was fine each time. So it was like – well, I must be fine too. Otherwise, I am really not contagious, which doesn't seem like me. I once, when Chris and I lived together a couple of years ago, I once gave two of the members of our of our housing 
situation, uh, neurovirus, and it happened basically immediately. So um, I know it's not that I am just not contagious. I am definitely a very contagious person, and no one around me has gotten sick yet, so I'm pretty sure I'm fine. But next week, ladies and gentlemen, I assure you, I will update you. I'm sure you're all shaking in your boots. Next week, we'll learn who the new president is, probably. Well, you will. I won't. And we will learn if Bree has COVID. Yeah. And exciting year. <laughs> exactly. Really exciting year. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back to a simpler time. 2010. Let's go back to a simpler time. Ah, yes. 2010. My parents were separated but not yet divorced. I was preparing to go to college and shopping for different bathroom caddies on Target's website. I was finishing um, my last semester of college. Actually, right now, this summer. So I was about to go into my last semester. Wow. You're old as fuck. I am old as fuck. I also graduated a semester early. So I like graduated like in December. So you're a genius, but still old as fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this episode, uh, season four, episode four, is called Breach of Faith. And it aired on June 24th, 2010. Is written by Ben Watkins and directed by Jeremiah Chechik, and I have nothing to say about that. Me uh, either. Let's move on. The premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is while Jesse and Fee try to gather information on a dead gun runner, Michael and Sam are caught in the middle of a hostage situation while trying to help a man who lost his charity's money to a con artist. All yep. right. It was interesting, I'll say right off the bat, that we were doing a hostage situation. Why? Why interesting? Because we've done that before, and it was the best episode of the show. It's true. Well, I mean, okay, again, and I I think I said this, like, leading up to and during Bad Breaks, our favorite episode of the show, um, that, like, the hostage episode of any crime show is always the best. Yeah. Like, bottle episodes are iconic for a reason. And I, I have to say, I enjoyed that about this episode. Did you say you enjoyed this episode? I did. Okay, I feel that this week... I was a little bit you. Interesting. And this actually um, lends credence to your theory that um, being the person who's hosting the podcast and taking notes makes you focus on flaws more. Yeah, it's true. It definitely happens. And I enjoyed a lot about this episode, too, but I had a lot of logical problems with it, which we will get into. Well, you it seems like you're in a mood this week. But it seems like also I'm in a mood. It seems like I'm in a yeah. nitpicky mood. Yeah, because last week you were in a nitpicking mood. And it's entirely possible we that nitpicking this, this week made me want to nitpick last week more, too. Maybe. Um, Who knows? But yeah. Democracy um, is crumbling. Everyone's in a bad mood. Chris is being nitpicky about burn notice. Exactly. The world's topsy-turvy. Anyway, let's nitpick in the weeds. Okay. So, Jesse and Fee are in the Bahamas, because if you remember last week... They were going to the Bahamas to find info on Cobra. (laughs) The gun runner who was sort of snitching to Jesse and then just abruptly Exactly. It was like Jesse's lead to this big bad guy that both Jesse and Michael are looking for. Yep. So yeah, they're just at an outdoor bar in the Bahamas, just having a lot of fun. Like Jesse's like laying on on the bar and having like drinks poured off him and like, People are, like, I think, licking alcohol off his chest or something. No, they, they, they did the thing where you put the salt on the person. Oh, they put, like, like, you know the how salt you take on the a, chest? Y- yeah. It's like a, yeah, bo- it's so a like body you know shot. How you lick, 
Exactly. They're doing a body shot. They're and doing like body shots on seven Jesse. or eight women surrounding him. Like Jesse is full on hareming it up. And it's so funny. <laughs> like Michael Weston would never like a woman would like, tr- like drop salt on him and he'd be like, ah, gross. And no, like, yeah. Wipe it he, off. Is, he is having the time of his life. They are having the time of their life. And Michael calls and is like, get to work. And he's, and he's like, we're working. <laughs> but also like, we need a break. But also, we're working. And they are working. Because Fee is flirting with this guy named Ty, who is a coroner's assistant. And he, and the coroner probably has info on this body that they're looking for. So, Fee flirts with Ty. And then Jesse gets up from his, like, harem and pretends to be, like, a drunk guy. A local one, too. So he's putting on an accent. Uh, I don't know enough about accents to say whether or not it was a good accent. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, like, Caribbean stereotype yeah. accent. Although, really quickly, I think he was ADR'd. Do you think he was ADR'd? Because, A, the voice does not sound like him at all. Even, like, him doing an accent. And I'm pretty sure there are several sequences where he's not perfectly synced up to his own mouth. I, I don't know. Look at L- that again. Listeners, rewatch it and tell me if you think it was ADR because I something I mean, just seemed really wrong about it. I do really think it was his it. voice. It sounded like his voice to me. It sounded identical to the guy he was talking to. It sounded like <laughs> they just put the guy that Fee was talking to, had him record some wild lines before he left for the day, I, and then they just tacked it over. <laughs> I don't way. think I will. I'm gonna watch this again now. You should. I I didn't because I'm get like ninety percent sure I thought it, was it sounded ADR. like him. If it was him, it was ADR him. Yeah, I, I believe that it might be ADR, but I don't know if that, that would be fascinating, if true. Um, <laughs> we will, like, look it Huge up. Huge if true. <laughs> Huge if true. Anyway, and he pretends to be very drunk, and he's, like, pulling on. Fee is like, we're dancing now. And then so Ty, the corner assistant, is like, no, let her go. And then they get into, like, a fist fight, and while they're, like, fighting and Jesse, like, grabs Probably. him, and while, like, he's got him in, like, a lock or something, Fee, like, pickpockets, tie, and takes the corner, the keys to the coroner's office, and they're off to the races. In the coroner's office, Jesse finds a file on this body while Fee watches from the outside. And here comes Ty, the coroner's assistant, with a cop, and so Jesse has to, like, hide in, like, one of the body lockers which is airtight, so he can't hide very long. But he leaves the the keys on the table so that when Ty comes in, he's like, oh, I guess I just left the keys here. Oh, well. Yeah, so I, so he he got a cop because he thinks he, his keys might have been stolen, but first he takes the cop into his office? I mean, like, well, presumably that's where they were trying to break into. I, I mean, guess. he was right to do so. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable. Sure. Especially since he's a coroner that's like, the cops work with the coroners. It's like, you know, it's not just that, like, he called the cops anyway. because someone stole his stuff. Like, he, this is police business, too. Oh, I have lots of nits. I don't have that nit. Got it. So he gets out. I wait of, your nits patiently. Uh, the cop and Ty go outside, and he gets out. And then he just walks out the front door, and they're just standing out there. Like, he, and before, like, he leaves, he tells Fee to go ahead and get the boat. He's like, I got this. I'm fine. He walks out the front door, and they're just standing right there. And he's just like, oh, I'm just going to walk out. He makes no attempt well, what else, to, like... What else is he supposed to do? Like, wait suspiciously inside the biz- the, the building with a I mean, is this file? the only door? 
Well, it kind of looks like a bunker. Like the, the, the coroner's office sort of seems like a bunker right off the beach. Or at least like even hide out like a little bit. Like they just seem like they're chatting. Like they're cops have shit to do. It's not like this is where the cop lives. Right. But the but the coroner might go back in. I mean, this is fair. I don't know. Like, but he kind of, he doesn't really do a great job of like. No, he basically does like a Bugs Bunny whistle where he just like. Yeah, he does. Has like a real innocent face. (laughs) And surprise, surprise, it doesn't work. But I think this is also, I think what they're probably trying to do is like once again set up like Jesse's a little reckless, you know? Jesse's reckless. He doesn't know what he's doing. With his own safety and other people's safety. Exactly. Yeah. So Jesse has to jump in the car. And gun it. He gets chased by the police. He makes it to Fee in the boat. And he jumps in the boat. And they get the hell out. And that is the cold open. It's a fun cold open. It is a fun cold open. I like it. It's, you know why I, it's fun? And it's fun? one of the few cold open without Michael. Yeah, because it doesn't have Michael in it. It's Jesse and <laughs> Fee. And they have a fun chemistry. It's, it's kind of interesting. Like, here's a, like a weird behind the scenes thing. Whenever I'm going through my notes... I always just, like, go to last week's week's notes and delete everything and start over. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to lose the formatting of the, the numbered formatting that I have in my notes. So I don't want to delete the entire notes. And so I always delete everything except number one, Michael. <laughs> because I'm always like, well, the cold open's going to have Michael. It's It's a show about Michael. So, like... I always delete everything on my notes except for number one, Michael. And this week I had to be like, it's not Michael. It's Jesse. Like, that's how, like, little Michael is involved in the scene. It's like, I mean, he's in it. Technically, he's on the phone. But it's not Michael. It's, like, Jesse and Fee. And it's really fun. It is. It's very fun because they're the two loose cannons. Yeah, it's great to have a couple of loose cannons. Anyway, we come back from the cold open. The cannons are no longer loose. The cannons are back. The cannons are home to roost. Yeah. Uh, They show up at the loft with the file on the dead guy. And they explain that this is definitely the dead guy because of all of these reasons. Like, like he had some, like, smoker's esophagus issues. So that's why he was all hissy, like a cobra. Although they don't say cobra. (laughs) All these other things that, like, make it very clear that, like, this guy is probably the guy. His name is Jeremiah Kassar. And then so Michael's like, okay, cool. I need to get Sam to run the prince. And and Jesse's like, oh, no, not not only have we already done that. But we already have a name, and we already have a P.O. box for the guy. And also, you already owe Sam a favor. (laughs) And Michael's like, oh, okay. And so Fee and Jesse are like, we'll check out this P.O. box and see if we can attach it to, like, a a real permanent address. You go help Sam with his favor. And Michael is annoyed because he hates doing work. But also... And he also hates it when... When other people are in charge. Yeah. And meanwhile, other people are doing the thing that he cares about. Yeah, it's true. They are running down the actual, like, government lead. Yeah. Like, because normally Michael's the only one who really gives a shit about this. Like, Sam and Fee will, like, do stuff for this plot. But Michael has to ask them. And they don't care about it as much because they never give a shit about what Michael is doing. This is the first time we have another character who isn't Michael that cares as much as he does about the season-long plot. Which is interesting. So, like, yeah. So, Jesse and Fee can go deal with this. And he's like, you do Sam's thing. And it turns out Sam's thing is a case. It's never anything else. No, of course not. Um, And if it's not a case to begin with, it becomes a case by the end of the scene. Of course. Uh, He has a friend named Josh. 
who runs a charity for like families of veterans or whatever. And this guy, Josh, wound up getting conned out of a bunch of the charity's money. Uh, the cops can't help. Michael doesn't want to help either. <laughs> but it, Sam insists that this isn't really a job. This is a consultation. Like, we'll he, I show feel up. like he's used that exact line before. He's like, oh, we'll just talk to this guy. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. He's like, we'll he show up. He also specifically we'll talk to him. says it, it'll take less than a day. Yeah, it'll take less than a day. And also, they'll get ribs out of it, <laughs> which is nice. I. I do enjoy a focus on a free lunch, which you sh- which used to be such an important part of Burn Notice, was <laughs> yeah, who paying pays for, for lunch. lunch. <laughs> and like, so this feels good. Both last right. week and this, this week feel kind of throwback-y. Totally. In that way. Well, it's a Barrios-Watkins double feature, of course. Exactly, yeah. Unfortunately, when they arrive at Josh's, they don't find any ribs. But they do find his concerned wife, which is the lower third that they give us. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just something about the way that like women are reduced to these roles so often to like actually just see her like given a lower third as concerned wife. It's just very frustrating. She is just there to be concerned about the thing that is happening with her husband, who is the character. Yep. Uh, anyway, she says that Josh has gone to the con artist's building and that he is going to demand his money back. And they need to go stop him. And Michael is annoyed that this is a job now. <laughs> and then Sam points out that, well, you have nothing to do because Jesse and Fee are getting the address. Uh, this just annoys him more. Because <laughs> it just reminds him that he is not needed in the thing he wants to do. Exactly. So, uh, meanwhile, Jesse and Fee arrive at the P.O. Box place and explain that they need Jeremiah Casara's address. Oh, by the way, I haven't mentioned his name is Jeremiah which is also the name of Jeremiah Chechik, the uh, director of this episode. I see yep. you there. Director of many, many episodes. So we've we've had a Chechik before, and now we've also had a Jeremiah. Yeah. So they must really like this guy. I mean, he directs a lot. They love, and they just love throwing names in there. Fee and Jesse pose as like a couple that wants to go on their honeymoon because they have really fun chemistry, you know? So that's believable. Mm-hmm. But technically... He's still waiting for the divorce to go through with his first wife. And, like, Jeremiah Kassar is, like, his wife's lawyer. And, like, they need the actual documents from the lawyer. So they need his address. It's kind of a shitty story. Yeah, it's not It's not a great cover. And Yeah, it's not a great cover she, like, because... immediately calls their bluff. It's not even that, like... She thinks they're lying or anything. It's not like, but she's like, yeah, I can't give out information. I don't think they're particularly sympathetic. Yeah, they're not. It's very weird. Maybe it's like we're supposed to believe that Jesse is not as good at this as Michael. I don't know. But it's also like, did they not? They discussed their thing before. And surely V would also have thought about this. Like what you've given this woman is. Here's a guy who probably left his wife for this woman because, like, he's not, the divorce isn't finalized, but he's already, like, wanting to go on a honeymoon with this new woman. And it's like, that's not sympathetic at all. Yeah, Um, it is. It is definitely a confusing ploy. And, like, the whole point of it is to fail so that they can have a spy tip about coming up with a better story, which is they look at this, this woman has, like, pictures of her with her kids 
but and there's uh, no husband in there's the no husband and she is not wearing a wedding ring so they assume that the husband is out of the picture most likely not dead but most likely a scumbag that's what they're banking on so they explain that they're from an organization that specifically tracks down deadbeat dads it sounds ridiculous <laughs> But they're but like he's looking... super late with his alimony papers, and she's like, yeah, super "How late. late is he?" Super. She buys this. They, she gives them the address to Jeremiah Kazar, and that works. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Michael and Sam arrive to find a very distraught Josh, played by that guy actor Frank Wally. I have seen this guy in so many things. I don't even know what I first saw in him, and you've seen him, and he's just yeah. I know what I've seen him in. He's he's uh he's in. The episode, the most problem, well, not probably the most, but one of the most problematic episodes of Psych. He was, uh, he plays a transgender character. Um, oh, no. Who, yeah, don't you remember this? He, he, well, not no, even transgender. No, I don't remember anything about it was, Psych. He, I like Psych, he I don't pl- remember anything about it. Yeah, it's it's an early um, season episode, like maybe one or two. But his character has like he thinks that he's either being haunted or targeted, and it turns out he actually has a split personality, and one of his split personalities identifies as a woman and has been getting tre- like therapy from somebody. Oh my who's, god! His, his transgender side. There's so wants much surgery going on there. And, and so, like this, the the his primary or his original personality, at the very least, identifies as a man and keeps finding like women's shit all around. And he's like, I'm either being haunted by an ex girlfriend or like a woman is trying to kill me. Uh, but it turns out it's him and his other personality, who identifies as female, identifies strongly enough as female in a specific enough way that she wants surgery, and uh, to become physically more female. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember how it gets resolved, but it's not great. <laughs> no, yeah, there's. So yeah. that's how I know him. That's like, yeah, that is nice show. I don't know if anyone is equipped to tell that story. No, no one is. But like, <laughs> not a single human being is, is not. No, it's not. And like, they are certainly more uh, gentle about it than they could be. But the best way to handle it is to not do that. Yeah, no, that's awful. Anyway, this isn't a psych podcast. No, it's not. This is a bird notice podcast. I'm sure you'd be happier if it was a psych podcast. Actually, that's not true. Our fans like this show. But yeah, anyway, the point is, you've seen this guy. The other two look familiar too, and I think I've probably seen the other two, but I definitely Yeah, I feel like the con, the guy that plays the con man, I feel like he's been in a different burn notice episode. He's got that face. He's he's got got a face of someone who's been a... Yeah, he he looks like a guy who's been in an episode of Burn Notice before. Like that's the face that's the face he's got. Here, let me he let me look him up. So he has gone into the office building of the con man, uh, because the con man is pretending to be like an investment banker or something, and his name is Nick Madison, and he's working with a woman named Patty, and Josh is holding them up at gunpoint. Yeah, it's not good. Doesn't it's not great. well on him. And that is what Sam and Michael walk into. Oh, he's in Bones. That's probably where I know him from. Both both Nick and Patty are ple- are pleading innocence. Sam and Michael try to talk Josh down, but he is very distraught. He's incredibly distraught. And at some point someone is called the police. Patty is called the police, and so the police arrive outside. So, uh, Josh just herds the um con artists into the break room and tell Sam to leave. Like, I, I'm doing this. And Sam, like, this is his buddy. He cares about veterans. He is lawful good. 
So he has to do an unlawful thing. He cares about good things. So he has to stay. He starts like closing the windows and preparing for a hostage situation because he's going with his gut. Michael is understandably not happy about this. Uh, (laughs) He does not want to be in a hostage situation, presumably because he's afraid of this seeming like a retread of Brad Breaks. But Sam argues that it's not going to be a retread of Bad Breaks. Um, And either way, it's too late for that. Uh, Josh is definitely getting arrested. But this is their only shot at getting the money back for the veterans and the veterans' families and the charity and all that nonsense from these con artists who are clearly closing up shop because the place is empty and this is the only way. Meanwhile, the police just arrive and are setting up shop outside. Um, Josh comes back out and once again tells them to leave, but Sam is like, no, I'm staying. And then Sam tells Michael, you don't have to stay, though. Like, this is my shit. You do not have to stay. I can do this. I'm probably going to get arrested, but I I have to do this. At which point, um, they get a phone call from Police Lieutenant Casey, who gets a lower third that says, tough SOB that isn't at all necessary. (laughs) On one hand, they've cast him just fine. And B, he doesn't really do anything tough. No, not at all. But, like, no. apparently we need an antagonist that isn't inside the building with them for some reason. Yeah, but he also doesn't really act like an antagonist. Like, he doesn't do... No, he like, doesn't. Like, he's the, like nothing. I think, I think the, the implication is supposed to be, like, this guy runs the straight and narrow. Even if, like, we get out of this without anyone getting hurt, we're going to be fucked. Because this guy is the letter of the law. And he seems like he'll hardline, you know... The legality of justice and blah blah blah. I think that's what they're trying to set up, but it doesn't matter because he doesn't do anything. Honestly, um, it just feels like they took character descriptions that were in the script and turned them to lower thirds for no good reason. I'm sure that they were written in to the script. I guarantee no, no. that. No, but it's like like these look like concerned wife, tough SOB. These all sound like casting call descriptions. You know what I bet it was is that you know how sometimes when you're writing a script and like when you go from like action statement to a line of dialogue, sometimes to amuse yourself and your fellow collaborators, it'll like like you'll write in the action. She looks like the typical concerned wife and then cut to lower third concerned wife. And it's funnier on the page because we've seen the lead up to this joke. But on just on the screen, it's like, okay, that's it. That's what I bet happened. I bet Ben Watkins has a bunch of jokes in the action lines of this script. Yeah, that that's plausible. Mm-hmm. I will buy that. But yeah, this guy, Lieutenant Casey, the tough SOB, calls on the phone. Uh, at first, he actually shouts on a megaphone because they won't pick up. And then he's like, pick up the phone, goddammit. And they call again. And Josh is going to go pick up the phone. But then Michael swoops in, picks up the phone and pretends to be a hostage. And says that he's been told that hostages will be shot if the cops come in. And then hangs up. Um, because he knows that if you say the wrong thing to the hostage negotiators, that they're just automatically going to send in the SWAT team. And, and like, they're never going to get the money that way. And then he tells Sam that he leaves when Sam leaves. Meanwhile, outside, Lieutenant Casey tells his men to cut off the phones, the internet, and the AC. This sort of matters. There's a whole runner in this plot. Not even a runner. Just, like, every once in a while, someone is fanning themselves because it's hot. And, like, everyone's hot and sweaty. Michael and Sam and Josh separate Nick and Patty. 
Michael interrogates Nick, the con man guy, who maintains his innocence and says that it was just that the economy crashed. Like, it was a downturn. It's bad. How was I supposed to know that sometimes you just lose your money? I'm not a con man. Um, in fact, to prove that I'm not a bad, bad con man, I will give you the password to all my computers so you can look over the files. And you could maybe you can convince Josh that I'm not a bad con man. Because the thing that they're trying to do is convince Patty and Nick that they are also hostages. This is important, but I also think it's not established super well because neither of them are no, acting like hostages. No, they're, they're acting not at all. like neither of them seem hostage takers. <laughs> like, or at the very least, more in on this than makes sense. to Exactly. Me. Like, eventually, there's like a flip where they realize that they're working with Jeff. But like, a obviously these guys know him, and like they try to make a turn work that doesn't quite work because like neither of them are pretending like they're scared or it's a whole thing. Uh, it's a whole thing, and also nothing at all. Also, nothing at all. Meanwhile, a very upset Sam interrogates a very upset Patty, um, who maintains that Nick is a nice guy who would never do anything like that. In fact, he was so upset about having to lay off staff that he's helping this one guy, Tom Norris, pay his mortgage. I will say, I never for one second trusted this woman, (laughs) and it turned out she was just nice. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Like, the whole time, like, why is she the last one? Like, he's, like, about to leave. Like, they were, like, closing up shop. She's, like, literally the only other person there. How does she not know? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And, like, the thing is, I kept waiting. It was kind of like that one episode with What's-Her-Name, who eventually got a show, Necessary Reference, like, Oh, where, yeah, uh, Callie. Yeah, where it turned out she was, like, the main bad guy because she was supposed to be, like, the bad the guy's wife. Like wife or girlfriend or whatever. But no, it turns he, out she, she was she the was, bad guy. She wasn't the wife or girlfriend. She was um like basically being sexually manipulated. Oh, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, like she, even worse. she tried to pretend that she was being like yeah raped by the bad guy. Yeah, and she was just like in the wrong place at the wrong time. That was exactly the for her. I was like expecting another plot like that, and then that never happened. She never seemed interesting enough for me to care, so I did not pick up on that at all no yeah like i was just because i don't think she's a bad actress i think i've seen her before but like her performance isn't i don't know it felt like a fake bad performance not a real bad performance (laughs) like the lucy lawless is bad at crying thing yeah um yeah i thought it was kind of like that i just kept waiting for that turn and it never happened anyway they look through the books and it's very clear that the books are fake because they're too perfect and obviously that there are some real books somewhere else, but not even in the building, probably. Meanwhile, Sam tells them that he thinks that Patty is innocent and has been conned like everyone else. He also mentions that she mentioned this guy, Tom Norris, and that and he says that Tom Norris is Nick's right-hand man. We don't hear this, but I assume he got this information out of her somehow. Like, she mentions this guy by name, but never mentions that, like, he was the right-hand man. But I assume there was more conversation. Um, right. They decide that they need to ask this guy some questions, which means getting a call to the outside. While Sam gets info on Norris, like where he is, what he does, Michael cuts into the phone line next door so he can call Fee. Uh, also, the whole time, everyone is very hot 
and very frustrated. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we cannot forget how hot and sweaty they all are. They are all very hot this, and sweaty. This, this definitely has to come back, right? It's definitely foreshadowing for something. I mean, it's only foreshadowing <laughs> how sweaty Michael will be in the final scene. He is extremely sweaty in the final scene. He's got like a tuxedo. It was like a shot from Sam and Pat are depressed. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Jesse and Fee are trying to break into Jeremiah Kassar's place. Um, but it's proving difficult because he's got like a really expensive double deadbolt lock or whatever. And things become even more difficult when a nosy neighbor shows up who super does not believe their story that they are census takers, but has taken down their license plate number. Does, uh, she, does says, she literally say that she's the neighborhood watch or is it just like implied? I don't know if she said she is neighborhood watch specifically. She does mention that the neighborhood is jumpy because there has been a lot of break-ins recently. Um, Do you know who this woman is? Like the actress? Yeah. I have no idea who this woman is. She she's the main love interest in Numbers, which is another show about a very special boy. But in that case, he's very special because he's very he's a mathematician who solves crimes. Oh my god, there's not there's not a more pre-Castellini fact than this is the main lead actress of the television show Numbers. <laughs> I'm just saying she's fantastic, and I was excited Less to see her. People I was care ex- about numbers than care about burn notice. <laughs> Chris, I think what you've just done is sealed your own fate into us making a numbers podcast. No, never. I will never. <laughs> Here's the thing. I had some nostalgia for Burn Notice. I watched Burn Notice. I have never watched an episode of Numbers. I have zero desire to watch an episode of Numbers. Numbers it would be isn't actual bad. Torture I enjoy to it. Make me watch an episode of Numbers. <laughs> well, now again, you're. It's like you are asking for it by saying that it's torture. You like. I think, I think you are making an assumption about how strong our friendship is. <laughs> I don't know if you want to test. Maybe maybe we should do like a pilot. Like maybe maybe at the end of Burn Noticed, what we do like as like bonus episodes after season seven is we pilot a couple other shows and like maybe you pitch some and I pitch some and we do like an episode per pilot to see if we want to keep doing a weekly rewatch show. And, like hey, that I, could be I fun. Have a pitch. Okay. Not numbers. I want to pitch <laughs> well, not doing numbers. You won't even do the pilot episode with me. I will not do the pilot of numbers. Why? Because it it looks awful. It's not. Have, it's fun. I have negative desire to watch numbers. But mathematicians solve crimes. No, thank you. <laughs> Ugh. Fine. You're so frustrating. Uh, yeah. Anyway, while they're talking to this woman who's from <laughs> Numbers. The, no, importantly, she's the main love interest from Numbers. She's not just from Numbers, Chris. Don't be belittling. Anyway, while they're having this conversation, Michael calls. And so they're like, oh, our boss is calling. Our census boss. Hey, Mr. Census. <laughs> and walk away. It's about as subtle as Chris is being joking about. Yeah. As Chris is joking about, not as Chris is being joking about. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Michael on the phone explains the situation. He's like, hey, we're in a hostage situation. And Fee's like, again? No, but really she should have been. Uh. (laughs) Well, at least in this hostage scenario, the cops are there. Because like in the original, in Bad Breaks, the cops were never called. Like Mark Shepard was way too on his shit for the cops to get called until the very end. Yeah. 
So that's at least a new dynamic where they have to also contend with, like, the good guys outside. No, yeah, that is different. I was legit trying to remember who was the hostage hostage negotiator was in Bad Breaks. Breaks. I was like, no, there wasn't one. Yeah, there wasn't one. At the hostage situation, Josh is watching over Nick and Patty. They put Nick and Patty back together with his gun, which is not loaded, by the way. We learned earlier that the gun is not loaded, but Josh is still threatening them with it. Nick tells him that, like, I have even more evidence that proves my innocence in this drawer. Let me go to this drawer and I will pull out the proof of my innocence in this drawer. Just let me do it. And, like, they're in the middle of doing this um, when (laughs) Michael and Sam walk in. And then, of course, he immediately pulls a gun out of the drawer. Because uh, Josh is really stupid. I mean, he decided to do a hostage situation, so he's obviously not a smart cookie. No. But also, like, should this person be running a charity? I bet his concerned wife does most of the work. I was going to say, I well, the, the very end of the episode seems to imply that she does. So Michael has to disarm Nick, which proves that he's not a hostage. He's too competent to be a victim. But he like, must be and a that villain. like he's not trying to like get the upper hand on Josh. Like he's proving that he is in league with Josh, totally. But they haven't really right. done a good job of like proving suggesting the that he wasn't. So like, it's meant to be like this big re- reversal in fate that doesn't really play. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It, it. I never bought that for a second. Yeah, it's weird. But the point is that, like, he definitely knows that, like, Michael and Sam are hostage takers. And when, when the police get here, and when the when the I talk to the police, I'm gonna tell everyone that you two are hostage takers. You were the ones who took hostages. Anyway, they herd them into another room, and Sam and Michael are in a pretty fatalistic mood, just like sitting there in this like giant empty building and sam tells the story of the one and only time he was ever in a jail cell apparently when he was a kid he was just ralphie from a christmas story and so he really wanted a red rider bb gun (laughs) and his dad wouldn't let him have it because he'll shoot his eye out and so he stole one and then in order to scare him straight his dad made the police put him in jail for a night and that's why you always leave a note. It was the only time he was ever in a jail cell. Doesn't matter. But like, there's some backstory. Cool story, Sam. Mm. Then Michael calls Lieutenant Casey, pretending to be a hostage again. And Casey asks, like, are you Josh or Nick Madison or Michael Weston? And Michael's like, no, I'm a hostage. Anyway, the... The hostage takers, the guys with the guns say that you need to bring a van and that we will, he will release a hostage if we see the van. Uh, this will be their getaway van. Meanwhile, Jesse and Fee find this Tom Norris guy and chase him for a bit and explain that they're working with Nick, Nick Madsen, the con artist, and they want their cut because they're also con people. Tom Norris buys this instantly. And volunteers information. Tom Norris is very stupid. Well, I don't so know this how is a... this guy is a scam artist. 
Well, he seems like kind of a lower level scam artist. He's like a I lieutenant. Mean, but Sam suggested that he was a right hand man. That could have been bad information. But he is It could have been bad information. But a, rem- you gotta remember, this is a this is a Watkins Barrios joint. Bad guys are yeah. always idiots in their episodes. Like there's exactly. the bad guys never know what's happening. They always buy things immediately. If they if like something goes wrong, it's because the bad guy is dumb but in a way that inconveniences the good guys. Like that's the yeah, only yeah. time things go bad. It's never because the bad guy outsmarts them. It's because he does something dumb, but otherwise. Yeah, so he's like, like, but not oh, so that guys, it gets him caught. It's like, oh, you guys are the Boca crew? And they're like, yeah, we're the Boca crew. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> then they like take him. They take him to the hostage situation. And they're like, look, the cops are here. It's because Nick got caught. But Nick is like, Nick is out of town. And he told us that you're supposed to give us the money. See, look, it's all over. You got to just give us our cut. Give us the bank number or whatever. And then Tom is like, bank number? What are you talking about? But still trusts them. He does not question any of this. He still no, trusts them. He's like, no, what are you talking about? Bank number. He kept. He keeps all the money in a safe in the conference room in the floor. Yeah. At which point... They, like, tape him up and stuff him in the trunk of the car. But they also do it in, like, full view of a bunch of cops. That's what I'm saying. They? Aren't they? They do it they, in like, full view the of a bunch of cops. <laughs> like, they literally, they are not far from a hostage situation. There are so many cops. There are SWAT teams here. There's so much. And they just tape a guy up and shove him in the trunk of their car. And seemingly have no problem doing so. And then Sophie calls Michael and tells him where the safe is, that, they are, that they're good. They just need to crack that safe and come up with their hands up. But then Michael tells her, nope, the cops know my name. The cops know who me and Sam are. And Nick thinks that they're hostage takers, so the, Nick is going to rat on them. So they need a new plan. But um, they've called a van, and Fee says that she'll create a diversion when the van arrives. And then Michael tells her, like, we've never needed this more. Uh, pull out all the stops, go big, go super big. And Fee is so happy that she's going to get to go super big and do her biggest diversion ever. We don't get to see this. This doesn't happen. And that's really sad. Yeah, I'm not happy about it. Like, Frankly, they kind of I'm build pissed. it up a little. Sometimes this show does that, where they, like, imply that, like, Fee is going to do a big, big thing. And then they don't. There's a diversion or, like, a distraction or, like, some sort of other thing happens and, nope, they don't get to do the big thing. I really wanted to see what Fee was going to do to break all of them out of there. Like, I want to watch that show. Yes, uh, agreed. They break into the safe using Spy. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out there is a lot of money in the safe. This makes Patty finally realize that Nick, who is an incredibly shady-seeming dude, is a con artist. And then she, like, gets in, like, a slap fight with him. (laughs) And, like, in the middle of the scuffle, Nick throws something out the window, which, like, gets the attention of the cops who realize, oh, I think shit's happening. We gotta go, go, go. So Michael calls Fee again, and Fee's like, what ha- what's going on? We're not ready for our big, big show-stopping number distraction. What's going on? I have the Rockettes and everything. And he's, uh, the cops are going to be inside in like five minutes. What are you going to do? And Michael's like, I have no idea. And then the next scene, Michael has an idea. Yeah, it's very convenient. And it's just- for some reason, 
it doesn't involve the two other principal characters in this episode. And so it's sort of like, well, then what's the point of them being there? And why did they like other than, I guess, the floor safe? They've just been running around like fucking with their thumbs up their asses, like doing nothing like Jesse yeah, and Fee are so fun. Found in this. Out where the safe was. Yeah, they had such a good cold open. Why is Fee and why are Fee and uh, Jesse like used so poorly for the rest of the episode? It's yeah, I don't know because they want this to be a Michael and Sam episode. They don't know what to do with them. But yeah, so Josh is worried because he finds out the police are like about to break in in like five minutes, uh, and Sam wants to give himself up and and give with Josh, and then maybe Michael can escape. But Michael has an idea, even though he just said he didn't before the commercial break. <laughs> the cops don't actually know who the hostage takers are. The only people who've ever talked to them is Michael pretending to be a hostage. Um, and there's this old story about some bank robbers who made themselves look like the victims and walked away free. If they can get Patty on their side, they might be able to make it look like Nick is the hostage taker by putting a gun in his hand and having him aiming it at them right when the police break in. And Sam is worried because he's pretty sure that story is apocryphal. But Michael is like, no, we're going to make it apocryphal. (laughs) And so they talk to Patty who is very angry at Nick now. She is so angry. Cause, and she feels so guilty that she helped Nick swindle all these people out of money. But she is rightly not just willing to work with people that have pointed guns at her and, like, taken her hostage. Yeah, a fair place to draw a line. Yeah, exactly. She's like, no, all of you should go to jail, which isn't wrong. But Josh agrees, is like, And says, you know, I should go to jail. Like, I should definitely go to jail. Like, I super take responsibility for it. But these two, no. Like, they were just trying to make things better and, like, save me from myself and help me and help these poor, poor veterans' families and these poor, poor veteran children. Um, (laughs) Like, I will give myself up. Do what we can to make sure that these guys go free. We don't see what she says. But Michael brings out Casey. And pretends like he's going to execute him. And then Sam brings out everyone else. And then Michael pretends to get distracted um, by Sam and Patty. And then gives Casey an opportunity to steal his gun. Um, We get one of my favorite things that Jeffrey Donovan ever does on Burn Notice. It's my favorite too! Wherein Jeffrey Donovan has to fight someone and look bored and kind of annoyed that he is holding himself back. Yeah, because he basically he has to pretend like he's worse at fighting and that this guy's going to get the upper hand on him. But he's like making sure that everyone else in the room is like this idiot, right? Yeah, <laughs> like this is really it's like legitimately one of my favorite bits of acting that Jeffrey Donovan ever does. Yeah, when he looks bored that someone's trying to overpower him and then has to allow himself to be overpowered. It's yeah, it's peak. It's peak Jadon. The best Michael Weston emotion is annoyance at the inferiority of other people. It's true, because usually the protagonist that we get in this style show, it's certainly in other USA shows, is like um, condescension. And Michael is so rarely condescending. Like, he's just like a chill dude who doesn't want to do any work and really, really wants to be in the government again. That's his only thing. So when he does get to be like a little bit of like a sassy, condescending bitch somebody, it's so delightful. Yeah. Anyway, so Casey gets the gun and holds them all at gunpoint. And for good measure, is real mean to Patty. It's like, yeah, he's basically like, yeah, I'm a con artist. What of it? Don't follow me. 
don't tell them I'm a con artist. Fuck off. <laughs> and then Michael, knowing that like he has to be pointing a gun at them when the police arrive, try to goad him into shooting Michael. He's like, you're not a man. You're a con artist. Shoot me, you big, big man. Shoot me in the face if you're such a man. Of course, like he does try to shoot him eventually, uh, but the gun doesn't have any, anything in it. But luckily, right at that second, right at that second, the police all come in and immediately tase him. Right. So there's two things about this that are confusing to me. These are the nits that I want to pick. So the first thing is there's no ammo in the gun. So like how bad could his you know, jail time actually be if there is no actual ammunition in the gun. I'm sure like, you know, he's still thrown it around. Like other people assumed there were bullets in the gun, but there weren't. So like already his charge isn't going to be that bad too. By the time the cops actually see him, he's holding a gun. Sure. But isn't actually pointing it at anybody because he had turned around to look, you know, wide eyed at the incoming traffic of cops. So like, Anyone else could have had a gun at that point. It's not exactly the, like, red-handed perfect picture that Michael had set up. It's, yeah, it's not. Honestly, it seems very very circumstantial. (laughs) A little bit. After they all get sort of taken out, tough SOB Lieutenant Casey interviews Patty. Patty tells him that Josh came came in with a gun, but then Nick also had a gun and took them all hostage. Yep. Well, importantly, first, uh, everyone else got uh, interviewed. So, yeah, like, every, all, in, all the boys has stuck the to their story. story. So, like, yeah, exactly. And so she's, yeah. like, the final nail in the coffin. Like, she could make or break everything. Like, she could either make it look like they had all lied to a police officer or back them up. Yeah. And she, of course, backs them up. But also, like, makes it clear. And I don't know what everyone else told it. Like, makes it clear that, like, Nick is the bad guy. And it's kind of like, Josh isn't a bad guy. Um, Yeah, I was curious about that, too, because uh, Josh did make a big point of, like, don't send them to jail, just send me to jail. So I'm curious what Josh's story was. Like, if Michael and Sam managed to convince him, like, no, I think I think we can all get out of this. Just tell our version of the story. Yeah, it's not clear at all. Mm -mm. Yeah, I don't understand because he's not in jail at the end unless he has a court date or something. I don't know. Yeah, that is not clear. The cops arrest Dick. Uh, Lieutenant Casey talks to Michael and also says that Patty told him that Michael helped the situation from getting worse. What did she tell him, though? Because anything (laughs) that everything that Michael did to keep the situation from getting worse incriminates Michael. Yeah, I honestly wish we had seen like the rest of her explanation, because I'm sure it was quite the retelling. But like the thing is, like, but also they had to work on a story beforehand. And all the stories have to be consistent. So, like, that means that in Michael and Sam's uh, story, too. Michael is the hero. Michael is the hero. Well, I think that probably since, like, they know that Michael and Sam are friends. Like, that's pretty obvious if you're interviewing this group of people. And, um, like, I think that it, it it's plausible that Michael wouldn't be like, yeah, I was the big hero of the day. And it's plausible that, like, he wouldn't bring that up. And he could just say, like, we were caught in a bad situation. I did my best. Yeah, I don't know exactly like, what. I, I think some hero editorializing probably makes sense because she was the only, like, true victim. No, of course. But I'm just, like, thinking of, like, is Also, there Casey definitely knows she's that lying. That doesn't make him seem like a collaborator. Literally I mean, every single apparently thing that he did she did was collaborating. Sure, but clearly she didn't get into specifics. I mean, you know, again, it's it's clear that Casey knows that this is bullshit. 
yeah. but has to accept it because everyone's story has been consistent and like clearly a bad guy was caught so like what's he gonna do be a detective paxton no we don't have time for that we already have a fourth main character we can't do this again yeah anyway so casey does mention that they do have a file on weston but i guess not any outstanding warrants or anything uh yeah just just checking in with the cops that mentions that he has a fondness for explosives. Really, he has a fondness for a woman who has a fondness for explosives, but that's neither here nor there. Well, um, remember, Paxton's file had managed about to track arson. C4 yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. That's actually a decent bit of continuity. <laughs> I love that, like, most of our big compliments of this season of Burn Notice have been, their continuity is on point. Yeah. No, it is. Um, and then... Uh, Lieutenant Casey points out that there's a blown safe in there that is blown with explosives, like you like. And Michael's just like, seems like that when we got here. He's <laughs> like, why would he blow up his own safe? It's like, I don't know. Forgot the combination? Anyway, uh, Sam and Michael return Josh to his concerned wife and finally get some of those ribs that were promised. Um, also, Michael gives Josh Barry's number so that Barry can handle his finances, which, like, Barry's a nice guy, but also a criminal? <laughs> like, I don't think Barry is going to double-cross Josh because he is, like, Michael's friend. But, like, this is a one- this charity is, like, a 100% up-and-up charity. It seems, like, needlessly dangerous to link him to a criminal embezzler. Well, here's what I think is... He's probably doing Barry a favor more than he's necessarily doing Josh one because Barry probably needs a handful of, like, legit accounts to help so that, like, if people are like, Barry, you're a bad guy, he's like, no, I'm not. Look, I'm working with this charity. And that's fair. Josh does owe him. He does. That makes sense, actually. That's the end of that plot. Then we get an absolutely bananas scene. (laughs) With, we end with a truly, the least, truly the romantic bananas from numbers. <laughs> so for the first time in a while, we get Michael and Jesse working together. Because they yeah, Michael finally They're gets a chance. In a group. Exactly, yeah. No, for the first time really we get to see them working together. Uh, because Michael finally gets to do the thing that he wants, which is do the main plot. <laughs> Michael's kinda like me and that he wants the show to be more arc driven. <laughs> Michael is so annoyed when there's cases of the week because he wants this to be an arc-driven show. It's like, or to no, go I want hang the out whole on the show. beach with his girlfriend. Yeah. I want to hang out on the beach with my girlfriend. I want to be doing, like, mythology stuff. But, like, there keeps being cases of the week. <laughs> anyway, so Jesse and Michael try again to, like, break into Jeremiah Gazar's place. While we'll keep an eye out for Kendra, the nosy neighbor lady, who is at this moment, sort of jogging towards them. Michael is able to break in, but the place has been cleaned out. There's nothing there. Michael like figures... deep cleaned out. Yeah, it's a deep clean, like, clearly, like, someone has come and cleaned up this house. And Michael figures that someone had to do the cleaning, and therefore, like, someone might have seen, like, strange people going in and out of the house. So he's like, we should talk to Kendra, the nosy neighbor. So he goes to Kendra, Kendra's house posing as fbi agent gordon from last week continuity again so much continuity this season like he's still got his fake badge 
I think like they they probably got a new writer's assistant or something who's Maybe. been like, hey, if you guys need a detail here, this, you mentioned this like three episodes ago. Finally, somebody is paying attention. And just like, hey, you know, last week there was this whole joke about this uh, this one guy being nicknamed Cobra. And they're like, no, we're not touching that. <laughs> Actually, here's what I think. Not to relitigate last week's Cobra stuff. Here's what I think. I think Alfredo Barrios Jr. thought Cobra was a great nickname. And, like, everyone else in the the writer's room was like, no, it's not. Everyone just totally razzed him. Exactly. And razzed him so much that it became a plot point for that episode. (laughs) That is actually kind of cute. I hope that's true. But, yeah. Anyway, so Michael, like, talks to Kendra, pretending to be an FBI agent, and says, have you seen anything? She's like... I haven't seen anything. It's actually been pretty quiet. Uh, while he's doing it, he looks at pictures. It's the second time in this episode that someone has looked at pictures for clues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he leaves and he and Michael tells Jesse that he thinks that this woman is kind of fishy because she's in this house, but no pic- there's no pictures of her in the apartment. And okay, first off, this is kind of ludicrous because like, there's no pictures of me in my apartment. And certainly not, like, at the front door. Like, he didn't see the whole apartment. He saw, like, Two a little bit a of the foyer. Yeah. That's, like, it. And there was, like, well, three or four pictures so, there. Chris, most girls who have pictures up in their house have them with them and their friends. Because, like, it wasn't just, like, a, like a single portrait. Like, it's not like she didn't have a portrait hung no, over No, but, like, no, I understand. Fireplace. I get it's it. like... It's like a group but there's picture also, that she happens like, to not be in. Three pictures. I mean, you're like, not wrong, but you're also not right. I just want that to be very clear. Okay, but like, hold, follow me. And here, I also think I'm that you, a point. you, I'm, you I'm are trying to make a point. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm. Just, I just want to say one thing, which is I think that you are in the minority for people who have photos up. Like multiple photos that they bother to frame. I mean, obviously, you are not in, in other points in my life. I will later in my life. I will probably have more pictures of me. I have a very specific reason why I did not have a lot of pictures taken of me. So, like, that's neither here yes, nor exactly. there. All I'm saying is that, like, are there pictures of you in your foyer? Like, if I here's the thing: if I opened the door to your apartment and saw pictures of people in the like in the lobby, and then there was not pictures of you. In any of those pictures, I would not assume that you don't live there. It's a wild assumption to make. Anyway. But wild assumptions are why Michael Wesson is so good at his job. Michael says this. At which point, Jesse says that Kendra. (laughs) The Jesse thing is the funniest part of this. So hot. Is such an attractive woman with such a great <laughs> body that there's no way that she would be jogging with like sweat with a sweatsuit or something. Yeah, um, she's like she's wearing long sleeves and like kind of a sweater. Like she, she's yeah, she's up. wearing like a sweater. And it's, and it like, it is Miami and it's very hot. And it as is we've established sort of like weird. 80 But times. she's not like he, Jesse isn't saying it's really hot outside to be <laughs> jogging in a sweater. He's saying, He's saying she she's is really so hot. fucking smoking hot. That, like, there's no way that she wouldn't want to show her body off to strangers on the street so they can catcall her. <laughs> like, no, obviously she wants to show that body off. 
Therefore, she must be hiding signs of a struggle. Therefore, she killed Kassar. It is hiding out in the place next door to watch if anyone else comes comes around looking around for evidence that Jeremiah Kassar was there. This is a wild conclusion to jump to based on nothing. Based on the fact that there do not happen to be pictures of her right by the front door and that she's, she's so hot. She's not dressed hot. like a hot person. <laughs> like, this is the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Here's the thing. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> like, there are so many other explanations for, like, why those two facts might have been true like and it's not like like you know what would have been a good clue based off of the photo frames is if like she she was one of those people who use like the stock models that come in a photo frame and that was what the frames were and that michael had like seen it at like the office or something like when they were in the hostage situation the con man or had the same better like, yet although no this that one makes sense never mind <laughs> Yeah, it would be wild for me to have, like, a photo of myself prominently placed when you walk into my home. Exactly. This is all I'm saying. No, you got me there. That's fair. It's wild that they jump to this conclusion. And then they're so, right. So, of course, they're right. <laughs> they run back into the house, and Kendra is trying to get something out of the wall. But she runs away and gives Jesse the slip. But Michael has found a tape in the hole in the wall. And that is evidence. Hell yeah. And that is the episode. And that is Burn Notice. Let's talk about spy tips. I'm going to be perfectly honest. A lot of these spy tips were garbage. (laughs) There were not a lot of good spy tips. And a lot of things that I have kept are borderline. Um, Fair enough. Let's go through uh, them. Let's go through them. All right. First one. Spies don't always have a choice of hiding places. Sometimes it comes down to taking what's available. But if you have to hide in something that's designed to be airtight, you better hope the danger passes before you run out of oxygen. This is incredibly obvious. Is that anything? It is obvious. I mean, I guess it's useful because, like, I get I, I, I don't think if I was in a morgue and I needed a hiding space, I would necessarily think a body, uh, like, I, I wouldn't think of the air like the amount of air I would have in like I would think, oh great, I'll go hide my human body in a place that human bodies are usually. So yeah. I, I, I might close myself in without really thinking about the air thing. And it's useful to just have this in my head that, hey, remember this is airtight, you idiot. You can't just hide yeah. in here forever. Cause like there are definitely media where people hide in these like body storage things and they hide in there for a while. No, yeah. That that was kind of why I kept it. Was like, well, I didn't. Yeah, I'll no, I'll yeah. allow this. I will allow this. All right. Two in the field, you can never count on your first approach being successful. You have to be ready to change tactics on the fly. Spies learn to make lightning fast observations and connect the dots just as quickly. Little things like a family photo with no father and a missing wedding ring can tell you all you need to know about a target target soft spot, or better yet, their sore spot. Is that anything? I mean, it's very specific and it's very circumstantial, but like, I guess, 
I mean, it's very specific. Like, if you happen to be in this situation, which I'm sure there are many women with a family photo with no father in it and no wedding ring. Yeah, and that might be a thing. Because I would also then do the additional inference where if there's a man in the picture and she's not married, uh, either, like, he's probably dead. Like, that would be the leap I would make at that point. Yeah, that that is a good point. Because I did wonder, watching the episode, like, how they knew for sure that, like, the dad wasn't just dead, but it's like, yeah, because it's like, otherwise he would be in the picture. Exactly. Because you keep like, pictures she would of remember your dead, her dead husband. <laughs> your dead people that you love. Like Jesse Exactly. Does. Also, <laughs> yes. I should address something. I should address something. What's that? For the past, like, past two episodes, I have been working under the incorrect assumption that the name of the song by Fountains of Wayne is called Jesse's mom. It's called Stacy's mom. Oh, I thought that was part of the bit that it just sounds I, like no, the song. No, I was just stupid. You didn't know it was. Sta- I think I said Stacy's mom. You, I know you've it's been called- under this illusion for more than two weeks. It has been since like the first episode. You made this the Jesse's mom joke. I don't think so I made I a assume- Jesse's mom. Ja- joke in the first episode that was the second maybe the second episode no but definitely before the first this episode session. we literally don't see jesse till the very end but we talk about him a lot i'm just yeah, saying sometime in the first in the first two episodes you definitely this was not the first week you made this joke chris no no i made it i have made it for the pat i made it last week and the week before and like yes i mean it still works because it's a two-syllable name well, yeah, that's what I thought you were doing as you were because like every time you say Jesse's mom, I want to start singing because it is like the perfect. It does sound like, like it. Syllable. But like I also like, like in case anyone at like I was saying it and never acknowledging that the song is actually Stacy because I had legitimately forgot that it wasn't Jesse, <laughs> that it was it was Stacy. And like in case anyone on the Internet has called me on that, Mia Culpa. Oh, I'm going to cut this out so everyone thinks you're a big dumb idiot. How dare you? That is the power that I have. Unless, Chris, you want to edit bird notice from now on. Would you like to edit bird notice from now on? No, I'll look like an idiot. <laughs> we'll um, see. We'll we'll feel it out. But anyway, okay, number first three. two, not bad. In a hostage crisis, first contact with the police is critical. One wrong word from a hostage taker can be the difference between the start of negotiations or the start of an armed assault. I don't think this is anything because they don't tell us what the wrong word is. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could sort of be couple this with what happens in the scene. Like the point that he makes is saying that like if anyone comes close, there will be shooting. He sort of demonstrates a more useful thing. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, no. He does a uh, like that's the I thing. guess like, I don't rem- I don't remember what happens in this scene, so I will I will allow whatever you interpret from this. It's all wishy-washy but i will say of the first three this is the one that i thought was the most a good okay number four in a hostage situation it's standard procedure for police to run cell phone jammers and commandeer all the phone lines in your location to make a call without a police operator you need to access a line they're not listening in on it's like stealing cable from your neighbor if you can access a common wall and stretch the conduit you can connect your phone to an unmonitored line next door I guess that's useful because there is a lot of concrete. Yeah, Uh, it's very it's similar to the bad breaks tip about um, using the I think it was like the the modem that all the computers were connected to to your cell phone to get the signal out, which I think we even at the time found kind of suspicious. But this is distinct from that and might be technically useful. Yeah, all of these are like on a line. (laughs) 
We sure. haven't really hit a slam dunk one yet. No, we definitely and I don't know not. if we ever will. Um, let's see. What's the next one? Floor safes are virtually impenetrable as long as they're in the floor. If you don't have a jackhammer to pry one out, you need to get creative. So all my shape charges will do the trick. But if you want to avoid turning a standoff into a full-scale breach, you better find a way to muffle the blast. Once a floor safe is out of the floor, it offers about as much protection as a biggie bank. Yeah, I think this is useful, especially in context of like the rest of the scene. Basically, they stack a bunch of shit on top of where the, they're going to yeah. set the charge off. Uh, and then I, they just toss it off of a high level. I liked this whole sequence. I thought this was a fun... No, like, I, this was like really fun. Um, mm-hmm. I also think that like it's a pretty low-tech bomb. It's just like bullets that they have rigged to like the heating element of a toaster oven. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything... L- else like left to that it's just that normally on burn notice they try to really hard to avoid showing you how to make an explosive but i'm pretty I sure they just showed us it. how to make an explosive yeah i think you and i chris could figure out how to make this explosive exactly that's a bonus episode <laughs> bring chris do a sexy bomb making montage like fee and michael oh my god <laughs> anyway number six so we have five even though like A lot of these are borderline. Yeah, they're borderline, but they're borderline in ways that I'm not super conflicted about. Yeah. Number six, spies are trained to follow certain procedures while holding someone at gunpoint. Stand out of arm's reach, keep your weight on your back foot, never take your eye off the target. Unless you want your weapon taken, then you do exactly the opposite. I actually remember this one. I think this is useful because like the weight on your back foot thing might not be something that I would... No, necessarily yeah, think of so if like and that's also useful not just for like don't take your gun but like if you're in a situation where you need to like not be unsteady weight on your back foot is useful information it's also information you would have if you're a fencer because that's like the fencing stance is your back foot is your solid one and your front yeah. front foot is the one that's really moving but either way yeah useful useful reminder if you want to stay on your feet put your weight on your back leg no yeah totally that's six tips, so that's at least five practical spy tips. All right. So it passes on spy tips. Do they do spycraft over violence in this? Definitely. They they make some bombs out of random things that they have in their hostage situation. They tap a phone. There's a lot of, like, subterfuge. I wish there was more spy stuff. Like, one of the best parts about Bad Breaks is that it's, like, chock-fucking-full of, like, clever little spy improv moments. But, you know... It's a it's like a half bottle episode, so yeah. we can only expect so much. All right, yeah, no, it's fine. The, bo- uh, the bottle's half full. <laughs> it's a bottle half full of spy shit. It's yeah, half full of spy juice. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's no aliases this week. Not really. The one no. that they kind of try to play is that Michael and Sam are definitely hostages, which does yeah. not play at and all. They don't even play that. I almost wish. That uh, Michael had kept his Gordon character uh, <laughs> consistent from last week. Like, maybe like he's gotten his shit sniveler. together because he's back on the force. Yeah, but, like, maybe. If there had been, like, a voice or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would have given it to that because, like, the consistency of it being the same FBI cover story from last episode, I was impressed by because of how rarely they do that. But I, yeah. I if there had been a consistent characterization, maybe I would have argued for this. Um, but yeah, yeah I, had, definitely, I went back definitely and not. watched the last episode because I had to make sure that the name was actually the same. <laughs> Which is why last week I was like, yeah, it's definitely Gordon. 
I checked. Uh, okay, yeah. so no so aliens. There's no aliens. Our Fee and Sam as well. This is a really good Sam episode. Yeah, it's a good good Sam episode. Fee has a good cold open scene, but does not upsettingly get to cause a big distraction, which she was very excited about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, no. yeah, I think I think Sam's used well. Yeah, Sam told some stories about his backstory. Like like we said last week, these two weeks feel like Sam weeks to make up for the fact that the first two weeks do not use Sam at all. Yeah. Finally, is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character in this episode? Um, so it's hard because like he really is only in like the first cold open and the very last scene. He's great in the first scene, and then he's kind of just like nothing for the rest of the episode. Yeah, no, he's like nothing. I agree. But really good first episode. So do you think that the cold open Jesse <laughs> and the fact that his final connection made, like, was that a hot lady wasn't showing off enough of her hot bod? Do you think God. that's enough <laughs> to make Jesse both distinct from Michael and interesting enough to be a main character? No. No, you don't think you're going to give it to him. I mean, no. Well, like, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it's fine. Like, Fee wasn't used super well this week either. Like, and like, he was just sort of generic. Like, I none of this had to be Jesse. I guess like, that's true. Not, like, there's none of these scenes that would have been different if it was Sam instead. Or like, no. Yeah, no. I would like to have seen the expression that Jeffrey Donovan would give if he, like Jesse, had to like just walk out of the morgue, obviously having just broken in. I mean, Michael would have done something different. Would he? Because <laughs> I'm imagining it right now. And, like, I I stand by the fact that I'm not sure what else he could have done because any other thing he did would be hella suspicious. Like, he can't wait in the office because he can't jump back into the body bag, like, or in the, in the body container. <laughs> he can't yeah, wait in the, the hallway locker. because people will be walking, like, front and back. Um, and he has no guarantee that they're going to walk have no away many, from their I have no idea here. how many people work in this coroner's office. It seems like no one's there. Yeah, I have no idea. Anyways, um, you know what? That's fair. I'll give it to you. Because, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Like, the most of what Jesse does in this episode is just an additional pair of hands, not Jesse is adding something to the team. Yeah. Again, the only time that it's at, at all distinct is at the beginning when, like, neither Sam nor Michael would be doing body shots. <laughs> it's true. That's fun, but not a, not fun enough for him to be a main character. I mean, Fee would be. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay, fair enough. But that's three out of five. So, so technically, yeah. it is still a great episode of Burn Notice. Is this, though, a great episode of television? Again, I felt sort of nitpicky this week. I feel like there's a lot of logical, especially as it goes on. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's not a bad episode. It's just sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's sloppy. It's a little soft. It's not as tight yeah. as it could be. Yeah. A little doughy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it's, so I think it's just an episode of television. I agree. I think uh, we have now done a switcheroo where the first two episodes of this season, we considered great episodes of Burn Notice. Now we are back on our bullshit of simply an episode of television. I mean, which it is the opposite. Forever. It couldn't have lasted, but it's the opposite of last season. Last season, the first two episodes were episodes of television. Second two episodes were great episodes, but we've done a, a big old reversal. Yeah. Uh, were there any yogurts in this episode? I don't think so, because they don't really spend uh, any no, time at the There's loft. not really a yogurt. Mm-mm. 
Yeah, there's there's no really loft scenes where he would have no, any yeah. And there's no yogurt at the anywhere. <laughs> I you know what uh, would have been fun is if he like went to a, like an employee fridge and got a yogurt to think. Did he do that in Bad Breaks? Uh no, he I don't think he had a yogurt in Bad Breaks. He did that the the first time we ever see a yogurt in Burn Notice was in the pilot where he's at somebody's house and eats a yogurt so that if somebody walks in on him he can be like, "Oh, sorry, I was confused in eating a yogurt." Yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Uh, oh, no, no, no. What you're thinking of is the episode where his ex-fiance comes into town and they have to hang out in the employee break room to try and get somebody's handprint. And while they're waiting and like, they have to have a reason to be in the employee break room. So Michael looks into the employee like shared fridge and finds a yogurt and is so delighted that I took a screenshot yeah, of I think it. That's and what it's I'm now of. It's, it's our cover photo on Twitter. I do believe that is what I was thinking of. I remember all of the top yogurt moments from Burn Notice. That is my thing. All right. Well, with that, thank you for listening. Thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vince, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. I've also never mentioned that uh, uh, Vince did uh, the theme song for Linkara, if if you know who that is. I was talking to them about this the other day and remembered, oh, that's kind of a slightly famous thing that they did. Is Linkara still a thing? Uh, Apparently. Beyond that, there's nothing left to say, but bye. And go vote. Please vote go next vote. week. Please. And I want to be very clear. Vote for Joe Biden. Not yeah, no, because any uh, yeah. of us are happy about it, but because we would rather Joe Biden than a Holy Christ. I don't want to die. Yeah. I cannot convince anyone else to do this podcast with me. No. Please God, keep no. Chris alive and vote for Joe Biden. Okay, bye. Bye.